which means time for another edition of the Data Hub uh, with uh, Tyron Titanel. I'm Tyron Titanel, the Director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. Uh, coming up in the next hour and a half, we'll check in with Maneka Deiro from the Micronesia Climate Change Alliance to find out what's happening uh, with, with that organization and their current uh, focus and interests. And we'll also have on Vera Tapasna from the Guam Military Build-Up Office. She's come as an freshman trip accompanying Governor Lulian Guerrero that, uh, that dealt with a number of things. Uh, a number related also to the uh, military buildup and uh, Defense Department uh, activity out here. Uh, so it covered issues uh, that also included uh, support for the uh, uh, new hospital that Governor Lee Guerrero is committed to, uh, to building. Uh, we are broadcast live on News Talk 57 and 96.5 FM. And we're simulcast on GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2. And we're streaming live on kvd7.com, on pncguam.com, and at News Talk KVD7 on Facebook. A podcast of tonight's show will be posted over the next couple of days on kvd7.com. And links to it will be posted on the Bureau of Statistics and Plans 3 uh, Facebook uh, pages. One for the the, uh, Bureau itself, one for the... uh, uh, the uh, Coral Reef Initiative, a program out of the Bureau, and the other one from the Coastal Zone Management Program, a third program out of the Bureau. And so uh, check out those, uh, those uh, Facebook pages, and, uh, and we'll get out to the evenings. And we have with us uh, Chris uh, from the library. Chris, are you with me? Yeah. Oh, hi, Chris. Okay, good evening. For, why, good don't we evening. Start, why don't we start off for once you introduce yourself to the listening audience and, and, what, your posi- and what your position is. Okay, my name is Chris Sirangan. I'm the new director for Guam Public Library System. I've been here last uh, three months since uh, June, and uh, we are uh, doing a lot of changes here for better. Okay, and I asked Chris to come on the show just to outline um, his future plans for the library. Uh, a number of them are contingent of funding, but a number of those funding opportunities are, are being realized. There are, uh, of course, resources available to, um, to Governor Lee and Guerrero through the American Rescue Plan, and there are other grant opportunities. And there's been direct federal assistance um, from the American Rescue Plan to uh, the Guam Public Library System. So um, uh, although a number of these are, are still uh, planning stage, they're, they're have a, we're very much on the cusp of a uh, of uh, some very real changes in the library. And and one reason why I asked Chris in is that his plans for the library are more than just uh, opening up the branches that were closed on COVID. They're, they're also very transformative. And so, Chris, uh, without ado, perhaps you just just uh, brief the listening audience of what, what your vision is for the future for the Guam Public Library System. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, we have not been uh, up to uh, date uh, for a while uh, for our... Um for our GPLS, 
during this uh, last 15 years, we have not uh, done any major uh, in terms of technology in our library system, uh, in main library along with our uh, five branch libraries. And uh, now, I mean, I have uh, experience uh, with the library work, and I have got my uh, master in library science, and uh, I have a plan. I have a plan for, for you know, to make this library as a 21st century library, meaning that uh, that the library will provide uh, uh, an atmosphere or uh, inviting feeling and uh, access. Very um, access to everybody, not only our uh, hard copies, also by our uh, our uh, digital copies, and also we will make sure that uh, our materials, our uh, whatever we are, we will be having in our library, are accurate and uh, uh, and and most of them are scholarly written. Yes, uh, but you know one one of the things that Chris is uh, uh, and he and I have talked about is that your goal is to transform their library system into more than just what is known as traditional libraries, but actually into learning centers, uh, places where um, actual uh, uh, learning is engaged in, particularly on technology and uh, and 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 certainly access to to uh, the internet and computer systems is part of your plan, isn't it, uh, Chris? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, in these uh, libraries, not only. Uh yeah, 21st century library. We also want to keep this library as a, a cultural center. You know, having this uh, library on our main, uh, main, um, you know, main part of the island. You know, the, this is like a, a heart of, uh, you know, Guam. You're talking and about the library in Agania. Agania, yes. And we want to keep this library. You know, we wanted to do things that will reflect the people of Guam uh, in terms of uh, culture and uh, lifestyle and so forth. So, and uh, first of all, we are going to do the right now. We are trying to upgrade our uh, ILS, uh, you know, which has been here for a while, but was not functionally uh, was not function very very well. So uh, that is, we are in the process of doing that. The next thing is to to make this library more of a you know digital library. We are we are planning to uh, keep that uh, make that uh, the second floor as a warm archival center, meaning that we will have all our documents will be digitized and uh, easy to access uh, those uh, material from anywhere, uh, from Guam or anywhere in the world. Right so now, right now, your archival responsibilities are done, at, I believe, at the Barragata branch and still very much a paper operation. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, mostly hard copies and it's not, the, none of them are uh, digitized. Mm, okay. So we will be bringing back uh, our uh, Barigada Library in the archives and the back to our second floor, and we will uh, uh, will go ahead and uh, do the digitizing process. And uh, we are thinking, maybe we are planning to get this done maybe in uh, six months' time. To get and the digital, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Chris. What are you going to get done in six months' time again? In uh, we will build our archival center on the second floor. We're digitizing most of our uh, documents. Okay, so the archival oh. center will be up in full. The digitization process of the archival library will be up in full operation in the next couple months. Yes, well, the, you I, know the the books that are being published on Guam, uh, Guam related or Micronesian related, are published only one time, mm -hmm. and they don't reprint those uh, copies. Mm. So we have collected quite a few books, local books, and we want to make sure that uh, these books are served and, uh, you know, digitized and uh, saved in our uh, storage and in our database. 
Right, which is which is important, and there's a couple uh, parallels to this one. You know, one of the um, in the early days of um, the film in American film industry, uh, films were that once they were thrown in the theaters were thrown away, and a good part of um, America's cultural heritage was lost in those early years until they took steps to preserve them, particularly for the previous nitrate-based films that would naturally deteriorate here. So this is sort of very much online. I, I had forgotten that part of the archival process is preserving some of these. Uh, the not only records but these books that don't get preprinted every year, and yep. uh, for for features of my I'm I'm sure I'm going to pass this along to my wife, uh, Dr. Kelly Marsh Titan, who will be very much appreciative to hear this. And uh, I sort of sympathize the task before you, uh, Chris. One one of the measures we're taking at the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, which has over the years accumulated a lot of uh, uh, books and documents, is to uh, is an ongoing effort to digitization, which mostly amounts to uh, finding spare staff to um, to scan it, and then we save the digital files, which is is a kind of a tedious task. Um, but it has to be. I'll give you one sort of anecdote, which sort of surprised me when I when I came on board. You know, I came on when the onset of the implementation of the 2020 Census of Guam, and there were there are a number of steps to it that very much were based on what happened in the 2010 Census of Guam, and. Lo and behold, I f we found the Bureau had actually preserved the documents, I mean, including RFPs and other stuff, from oh. the 2010 census operation. You know, mm -hmm. they had the actual hardcover documents and on you know, this step and that step and that stuff. And they were like pulling it out of, uh, of files where they've been kept for 10 years. Wow. It, wow, indeed. Now, it was sort of helpful, but, you know, I, I can't help thinking that, you know, probably the better thing to do at 2010, which was not like, you know, in the last century, as just 10 years ago, was to digitize yeah. it and save it to now. But no, they kept it in a hard copy on a shelf for 10 years, just for this moment. So when we have the 2020 census, we can access the documents. And I'm going, wow, you know. Um, that that that's 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 only one small story. I also found some legal size Xerox paper that had been left over from the 2010 census. But in any event, this uh, this is uh, this is uh, your, your challenge is, is very important and, and certainly a um, an example for the rest of the government of Guam. So aside from your uh, uh, the digitization uh, as part of your archival function, uh, perhaps you sort of um, uh, expand on your on your vision. Uh, for learning centers, which, by the way, is not, um, of course, not not a, a novel idea here. It's very much a, a modern idea in, in sense. But isn't the idea uh, behind learning centers, or even the 21st century uh, vision of a library, is to, is to, in essence, and, and it sounds strange we talk about it now because of COVID and and restrictions on assemblage and social distancing. But ultimately, isn't the isn't your goal for the libraries to uh, create them as sort of common spaces? that encourages sort of exploration and creation and collaboration between um, not only young people and students but, and, and teachers, but also the broader community places is, is a sort of a, a place to bring together the, the best of, um, of not only the physical interaction, but digital interaction uh, in order to um, a, a create a true learning hub. Isn't that the sort of goal you're sort of uh, searching or trying to reach with, all the, with these steps? Yes, yes. Um you know, at the moment, uh, we, have, uh, we open our uh, branch libraries only once a week mm -hmm. uh, due to our, um, you know, funding issues. Right. But when this, uh, everything, this grant is, comes in a picture, you know, we are very grateful, by the way, for the, you know, for, for, for the governor and also to uh, the lieutenant governor who was so, uh, you know, <clears throat> interested in, in uh, getting these uh, libraries up to date. And I really appreciate uh, for what they are doing for the, uh, the community here. And then, 
the first of all, we wanted to uh, our uh, the branch library is no longer called as a branch library. Mm-hmm. You want to keep that library as a individual library with full all the functional uh, mm-hmm. library functions. Mm-hmm. Uh, for an example, um, anybody who could walk uh, could walk uh, walk into the library and get just about anything, everything except our hard copy in the main library. That mm-hmm. also can be given to them on the following day if mm-hmm. they find if they find that uh, book and right. uh, give us the uh, information, we should be able to give it to them. So the branch library is no longer for branch library. It's going to be like Agat uh, uh, Public Library, Beligara Public Library, Delido Public Library, and so forth. A process that's made e- easier with digitization and you can and digital access as opposed to relying on pure physical access. Yes, yes. And then uh, also these uh, our... Uh, uh, you know the network, you know internet connection, and all of that. It's going to be much more uh, faster, stronger. People could go to their library and do their schoolwork as well as outside. You know, when the library is closed, uh, students can go there and connect to the, our uh, our um, internet connection, and they should be able to get, the, get their work done. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of the things. Also, we are planning to planning to you know, expand our library services here in our main library uh, by, uh, by you know, uh, modernizing the library. For right now, our uh, shelves are not in compliance of ADA. So we are I'm sorry, to- uh, Chris, probably for the, for the benefit of our listening audience, you could elaborate of, um, of that yes. acronym you just used. Yes. Uh, the, uh, not in compliance know, the- with... Are you asking about the public library? You, you said, you said the, the li- public library there was not in compliance with... With uh, ADA. A, a, Amer- so Americans Disabilities Act. Yes. I yes. see. Okay, go ahead. If you go to our main collection our, in our second floor, our shelves are like about 7.8 inches uh, high. And uh, very difficult for a handicapped person with wheelchair mm-hmm. uh, go in and out. Mm. So that's one of the things that we are trying to do to make that shelves are much more uh, user-friendly and wider. And mm-hmm. also people can go uh, get those books and go to the main area and read the book or check those books out and that kind of thing. So that's one of the things we are trying to do uh, on the second floor on, uh, in our main collection. Mm. Uh, and, uh, so I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm but, sorry to interrupt. And also, we are also subscribing uh, in EBSCO, which is the largest uh, digital library in the world. Uh, once uh, we had it, but then we lost. So we are in a process of uh, uh, purchasing that uh, system for our library. And people can go to any of our uh, other libraries, uh, should be able to access to EBSCO and uh, and go into their library and uh, do do the research and things like that. Okay, this is a this is the world's largest digital library. Yeah, EBSCO is the largest uh, digital library in the so world. So what is, what does it have? Is it something like a, oh, uh, all the yes. books that a major yeah. library would have, and encyclopedias and the reference books and the mm, usual many, stuff. Many 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 hmm. database uh, articles, um, research papers. These are all written, um, you know, scholarly written, mm-hmm. peer reviewed. So. That's one of the goals. Goal, one of the goals is that uh, to uh, to provide uh, our patrons uh, accurate information instead mm. of uh, instead of guiding our patrons to other popular search engines. We want to we want them to use the the EBSCO. EBSCO is the is the ideal one for students to do the schoolwork 
and you know not only the students also for college students university students and they also they have but still we will be able to provide that kind of services here through our uh, library libraries mm. so in, in essence I, I would think this would be a major tool not only for uh, students uh, but teachers putting together the courses but also academic researchers yes. I mean even yes. even right. with modern search engines and somehow unless you know how to search it it doesn't always read you to where you, you, you need to do, but it sounds like this is a far more um, uh, targeted and efficient process, particularly for basic research. Yes. Uh, and and, uh, now, now you have that access to based on a subscription basis, I guess, with the library? Yes, it's mm -hmm. going to be a subscription basis. Mm -hmm. uh, we, it's annually, annually we have to subscribe or renew the subscription. But library patrons will be able to access it for free. Oh, yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. As long as they have that, um, our library card, they should be able to get that information, if, uh, you know, free of charge. You know, speaking of, uh, you know, access of things through the Internet, did, do you have any uh, nation plans? And, and I've got to say, folks, just to put things sort of in context here, it, it may sound like a lot of things that Chris and I to talk, uh, talk about are, are very, uh, might even be uh, speculative because there does not an, a concrete plan to do it now. But the vision for what Chris is doing in the library largely began uh, when the governor, lieutenant and governor were candidates, and they campaigned on specifically transforming libraries to learning centers. And so this is very much uh, an extension of their long-term policy. Also, we're in a, an environment of um, rapidly changing in terms of resources, and even if it, the, some of the stuff takes some time, uh, we also need to prepare the community uh, for the challenges in the futures, and also to take advantage of resources that may be available in the future as the economy comes back, particularly for tourism. So, you know, and 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 some of this is just not easy. It's not just what Chris, right? Because what you're trying to create here is a is a system, not just buying equipment here and there, in order to uh, to transform the role of the library in our community. Isn't that the case? Yes. Yes. Um that's one you know that that's uh, you said it very correctly and i i know for a fact that our our you know we are isolated here in mm -hmm. guam mm -hmm. you know we cannot uh, you know if you, if you were to live in the states you can go to the next town and get a book mm -hmm. whereas here our uh, database is pretty much isolated so mm -hmm. one of the things that i am planning to do is to uh, collaborate with uh, our 41 school libraries Mm. They have about close to 500,000 books in their system. And when they, uh, when they go to our ILS, Integrated Library System of Guam um, Public Library, and they can go and look for a title. And if the, if the library, if we cannot have the title in our library, mm -hmm. uh, and in, including our branch libraries, if they can, that system itself will go and search in our 41 school libraries and try to find the title. So it's, mm. everything is going to be under one umbrella, you know, all the collection. The same thing with uh, students. Students at any of our DOE schools, including the 10 Catholic schools that I think when I was there, I was trying to get that uh, program going for them. And uh, all these uh, informations are all integrated. So we should be, our students will find it easy to find a book you know, with this, uh, more than 500,000 uh, titles, along with our close to 60,000 titles in our uh, our library system, they should be able to find some of these titles. So we, you know, often that they want, sometimes they cannot find it, but because of this, now these 41 libraries are, and I, am, I came from there, and they are 
very up to date uh, libraries they are mm-hmm. they are uh, using a very good uh, ils system they all are trained our school librarians are very well trained and uh, i am saying that because i was part of them i was i came from john f kennedy high school and if you ever uh, go to john f kennedy high school library you will see some of the things that i have done in that library so same thing with any other school libraries they are doing a wonderful job and now we are in the process of integrating in the gdoe libraries and our library here mm so so it's one it's almost one combined system that uh, yes, creating synergies yes. that will better serve the community right right which, by the way, has been one of those dreams, uh, uh, plans that I, I know have been actually stuff, uh, discussed for, uh, for many years and that you're actually tr- um, working to bring into, um, into reality here. Um, you know, uh, uh, Chris, I wanna, something else I want to touch on, I mean, I touch about in terms of access, and, and that's the issue of uh, computer literacy. I mean, you can create these sense systems for people to uh, make it more accessible, but it, uh, some of this also involves... Uh, making uh, instilling people the skill set, or at least the um, the training, to actually take advantage of these uh, of these uh, uh, of these uh, new accesses, technological access. Uh, so, w- what are your thoughts on the issue of computer literacy? Well, computer literacy is you know are being taught uh, to students in our school level, mm-hmm. and also they are also taught as to how they can utilize the ISL in the school level. Mm-hmm. So they are very well trained. So if they were to come to the our library, they should be able to go into the um, our main ILS system. Should be able to do that. But you know there is a issue that you know I won't say issue. It's a challenge. Our uh, Manamco, mm-hmm. you know, they are not very. Uh, they are not. Uh, they don't. They are not trained to access any of the any of our uh, um, uh, computer literacy programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which we are planning to teach. Uh, Manamco is, uh, you know, uh, computer literacy, but mm. not only computer literacy. We are also going to teach them how to use the uh, smartphones. Mm. So these are things that we are planning. That we are. These are some of the outreach program of our library here. Uh, what we are like to do, we are, we are trying. One of the outreach program is the, uh, the computer literacy program, and we will be teaching not only at uh, our main library, but also with other libraries here on Guam. And we will be having a, we, will, we are planning to get a contract with some people here on Guam, and they'll, we will have them teach the Manamco uh, on a, in a computer literacy. And anyone who could, uh, you know, want to learn, they can come to any of our libraries mm-hmm. and uh, learn computer literacy. Well, that sounds like a, like, like a, a great goal here, you know, to expand the access to the Internet to all generations. Uh, yes. And, of course, uh, Chris, I'm sure you're, you have to share my perspective about how these, uh, this younger generation are just mastering this technology far beyond this, our mm-hmm. capability, even though we we're, we're, have essential computer literacy, but the, what they do is just, you know, oh, my gosh. But, um, you know, w- with all that uh, uh, put together here, you know, I, I, you, you, um, you must be at this point trying, uh, also adding up staff capacity at the uh, library. And, I, and it wasn't some of this facilitated by the uh, uh, funding you got through the Institute of... Uh, uh, museums and libraries through the American Rescue Plan funding uh, through a recent grant formula grant. Yes, uh, we just uh, received a grant uh, of uh, 2.3 million. It's uh, it's called ESF uh, two, and under the program when we wrote one of the goals goals is to provide tutoring services for students, 
and provide educational program for programs, workshops, and classes, and provide cultural program, workshop, and classes. Uh, we, time to time, we are going to have this, all these programs. We are in the process of planning and uh, implementing it as soon as possible. Mm. So starting off is going to be our Manamco uh, computer, uh, computer literacy classes. And we will be providing that services from Agania Library as well as all our branch libraries. So when do you think that program will start? Uh, we are considering it to start sometime in October. Wow, that quickly. Well. Wow. Yeah. We have to, you know, we've got a wonderful staff here at uh, our uh, public library here. They all are excited of the, all these new changes, uh, you know, and they are willing to, you know, uh, work with me and uh, trying to get this uh, off the ground. Well, you know, the, whenever you're trying to attempt the sort of uh, transformational change that uh, you're attempting, Chris, you're the, the first basic agreement is leadership. And it's very comforting to, to have a leader like you at the, uh, at the uh, helm of the library, particularly in this great moment we have a lot of opportunities. Um, I think we may have a caller, and we'll see what it is, but, you know, um, it, it, we'll see if there's, a, if there's a caller. But anyway, Chris, this is yeah. at the point of the program where I tell my guests here that, uh, you know, uh, I've been, often uh, been scolded for talking too much in these programs and not letting the guests talk. And so I sort of turn over the mic for these last uh, four minutes and 40 seconds in the program uh, to the guest uh, to say and impart whatever information they wish to convey to the listening audience or, or, or final thoughts or comments okay. or, or basic information. So, Chris Arangan, Director of the uh, Guam Public Library System, the mic is yours. Okay. Um, you know, the changes uh, uh, that we are going to make here uh, for, to serve better our community, you know, we, we want to provide the kind of service they deserve. You know, this service has not been, you know, un until our <coughs> governor and the Latina governor realized that, that the library has been uh, neglected for a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of their um, efforts and uh, and we are planning to do a lot of things in our library. And uh, we, have, um, we are trying to make this library as a user-friendly library. And uh, if you come there, you will see the things that you have seen maybe 10, 15 years ago the same way. So we want to change a little more colorful, a little more user-friendly uh, atmosphere. Right. And we, Say, want, we want to also do a lot of outreach programs. We want the people to come to the library. Well, uh, well, Chris, speaking of outreach, do you have time for one one question? We have a call from Eric. Yes, you know, yes, Eric, I you have? Uh, are you there, Eric? Hi, and, and you have a question for Chris? Yeah. Um, well, I just chimed in a bit late, but you guys are talking about library, and um, are you guys talking about the Guam? Public library? Right, and we have three minutes to go before we have the CBS Radio News, so if you can get in your yep, question real quick. Just real quick, uh, just wondering, uh, do you guys still carry those old uh, PDN articles in the Ugandan library? Chris, he's talking about the hard binding of the P of the PDNs, and they used to be on a shelf. Chris? Ah. Chris, are you, Chris, are you with us? Sorry, boss. Uh, let me try, ask him to call back. Okay, Chris. I think we lost Chris in the library. Eric, are you there? Yes. yes okay. Uh, uh, you know, I, it's been years before I've been to the library. I know what you're talking about. They're kind of like uh, hardbound books, and you or not some are hard, hard, hardbound, but the others are sort of like looped together. And then you have uh, have uh, of uh, is Chris on the line? Yeah, 
Okay. Yes, uh, we were disconnected. Okay, Chris, there we go. Yes. So, so Eric had a question about whether you still have those uh, keep copies of the PDN. And, you know, uh, I knew in the, um, in the archive section in, in the library. So do you still have those? Yes, we do. We do have all those copies we have. Okay. And we want, uh, we, it's not, you know, we, want, we are in the process of digitizing all those copies too. Yes, that, that would be perfect. Anyway, Eric, I think we sort of lost you on the other line, but, but uh, thanks for calling in that question. I hope you were listening and hope that answered your question. So back to you, Chris. We have, uh, we're heading for the CBS Radio News at the top of the hour in the next uh, one hour and uh, 35 seconds. So take it away, Chris. Anything else you want to impart to the audience before we close this off? Yes, uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind, people say like that. So we are, uh, you know, our library is uh, uh, right, right in the heart of uh, Guam. It's located, and we are going to do a lot of changes for better. Uh, I want people to come and see the library. I want them to come and visit. It's not going to be like they used to see, the, <clears throat> the friendliness and the service and uh, all the other things that we are going to have in the library. So I would like the public to come and visit. And I also want them to see one of the things also goals is to have the parents bring their children in the evening. And while the parents are checking their email and all of that, the children can go and do their schoolwork right in the library at the mm -hmm. family time. That's also one of our goals. So it's like a family time in the library. So we are going to we are considering seriously keep our library open till late, like 7, 7.30 like that. So that's also on, on our family to the family to come to the library and make use of the library for the for the children. Well, fantastic, Chris. Thanks, thanks, my friend, for joining us this evening. And uh, as we head up for the uh, CBS Radio News at the top of the hour, we'll be back after the news with uh, Vera Tapasna and Maneka Oro from the Marxist Climate Change Alliance, and again, uh, uh, Vera Tapasna from the Guam Military Bureau Build-Up Office. So, see you all on the other side. This is the Data Hub with Tyron Titano. I'm Tyron Titano, Director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. Uh, come on, coming up, we're going to have a conversation with Vera DePostle of the Guam Military Build-Up Office. Uh, uh, Vera just came back with um, attending that, going on that trip with Governor Lulian Guerrero. And we're going to discuss issues related to the military build-up and uh, prospects for the new hospital and a number of other issues. And then later on in the program, we'll have Maneka de Oro from the Micronesia Climate Change Alliance 
to uh, give us an update of the uh, focus and, inch and uh, of what uh, that activist group is doing on the issues of uh, climate change and environmental concerns uh, uh, generally here. Um, just uh, we're, uh, we should be getting a new uh, Joint Information Center release here, but I'll I sort of read for those who apparently missed the news today. I'll cover the uh, uh, release that was sent in uh, last night. Uh, they had had 52 of 1,068 tests positive for COVID-19, two GFD firefighters testing positive for COVID-19, two GDOE employees, one GDO student test positive for COVID-19, and COVID-19 vaccination. Uh, and testing schedule uh, and and uh, the food commodity schedule continues. Um, the uh, the reminder from the Joint Information Center is wear your mask, wash your hands, watch your distance, get vaccinated, tune, tune into local media and the latest GIC releases for vaccine availability, stay home if you're sick, keep away from others who are sick, so keep a safe distance of at least six feet from others who are not in your ho household, practice social distancing around elderly family members, and practice uh, 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 also uh, 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 also business services may implement more stringent COVID-19 measures as they feel uh, necessary. Uh, you know, the uh, thanks to uh, the uh, uh, really all of us, you know, uh, uh, pitching in and getting the uh, reaching the 80 percent threshold for vaccinations there with the uh, one of the uh, owner uh, restrictions have been lifted a, a little bit uh, to um, to allow some uh, attempts to return back to, to normalcy. Uh, we also have to continue with the, uh, the mass mandates, but vaccinations remain a critical uh, component of our effort to uh, bring the community back to normalcy and and defend the island from COVID-19, uh, something by the way that is getting um, uh, has an added uh, concern is because the massive spread of the new uh, Delta variants and other variants on the mainland, uh, which is sort of wreaking havoc, and our best protection against the Delta variants should it reach our shores um, is to have a vaccinated population. Um, and, uh, you know, this sort of thing has been extremely controversial on the mainland. There was this one U.S. senator from Kentucky named Rand Paul was saying, you know, they can't arrest us all and uh, arguing against, you know, not getting vaccinated. Well, the, the problem with that is, and they try to portray as a matter of individual choice. Well, you know, it's it, it, it's uh, not not in a uh, not in a civil society. I mean, it's uh, it's not a matter of individual choice that they choose to, like, defecate in the middle of the street and put a dump on the sidewalk. Uh, there, it's there's a certain standards of decency and and responsibility of part of society, uh, not to do stuff like that. And it's and it does also come uh, with uh, with uh, in, in terms of vaccinations, which by the way, in pretty much every other country, is not a controversial thing. It's considered a public health matter, uh, but here it's become intensely politicized, and uh, to the ex to the extent that it's inhibiting the recovery of the of the country. Uh, from COVID-19, from people like Republican Senator Rand Paul, uh, who is um, a demagogue in his own right here. And I, I say this here because I hear uh, some uh, member of the Guam legislature has introduced legislation to oppose Governor Lulian Guerrero's mandate uh, to for uh, vaccinations on the government of Guam workforce. Um, it is, um, I think it's probably uh, uh, the worst kind of pandering uh, for votes in the face of science and responsible public policymaking. Uh, but, you know, stay tuned. We'll see how, how that issue turns out for them. In any event, uh, we have online Vera DePasna from the Guam Military Building Office. How, Vera, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? Can you hear me okay? Absolutely. And I'm glad to, glad to hear and see that you're, uh, you've recovered from jet lag after a strenuous trip with uh, Governor Lulian Guerrero. Yeah, yeah, but it's good to be back. 
Okay. Uh, for sure. Before we get into the meat of uh, the meetings the governor had in uh, D.C. and Honolulu, uh, I want to uh, refer to something that um, was great poignancy for those of us who uh, learned of it, and that's uh, Governor Luliango uh, laying the wreath at the Guam Pillar for the World War II Memorial in, uh, in D.C. You were there, right? Yes, I was. I was. So perhaps you could like set the scene for the listening audience as to how that uh, uh, happened and how that turned and and what it was like to be there for that moment. Oh, I I do have to say that it was very well organized. Um, You know, thanks uh, to our Washington um, liaison office, right? Uh, Former Congresswoman Madeline Berdalio and Roseanne Mantononia, who just, um, you know, for two people to put something uh, of that, um, you know, magnitude and and uh, certainly the planning that went into it, um, you know, to have uh, World War II veterans, um, uh, you know, from the area to attend, uh, as well as uh, military representatives and, you know, residents of Guam who have, uh, you know, moved abroad um, uh, to Virginia. Um, and there were some that traveled uh quite a ways uh, to attend, I believe, all the way from California. Um, but to be in the moment um, was, was you know, certainly it was, it was, a, it was a somber moment, but uh, very meaningful and um, very touching ceremony. Uh, you know, to, to be in Washington, D.C. Uh, at the World War II Memorial, to see, uh, you know, the, the Pillar of Guam, um, you know, and what it represents uh, at, at the, you know, at that time uh, in our history, you know, it just, uh, you know, there's almost no words. Um, and it, it was, it again was very solemn moment, mm-hmm. uh, very uh, special for sure, uh, especially uh, for me learning that it was, um, it was the first time that we ever held it there. And, and uh, I understand that you know, from today that the lieutenant governor had uh, had thought about that and certainly discussed it with the governor, and I, it it was just so moving. I I was um, you know so humbled to be uh, a part of that, uh, but it was just a very beautiful ceremony on a very beautiful uh, morning. Uh, in in DC, and, and and even more pointed since uh, the time that the governor took off her her, her trip was uh, just right after uh, Liberation Day here on Guam, uh, um, and um, and it, it it is I can imagine the scene myself of a um, particular on a number of point on a number of levels including the suffering of the Chamorro people and and the uh, and the the battles fought here, but this whole idea of um, of the uh, the head of a liberated people. Uh, commemorating liberation, I, th- I think was was uh, was very historic, and I and I and uh, I know the governor plans to continue this tradition, and hopefully uh, uh, her successors will uh, will as well. Oh, so absolutely, uh, absolutely, and, and so onto the onto the meat of your the meetings here. Let's uh, let, let, why don't you uh, just sort of go down her her schedule for? Um, she met with a number of top uh, uh, Defense Department officials while she was in D.C. Right? Correct. Uh, Defense Department, yes. We were at the Pentagon, um, and we met with the Undersecretary of the Navy, um, uh, Gertz, and then the Commandant of the Marine Corps, uh, General Berger, and then the uh, National Guard uh, um, 
General Hokinson. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they were very uh, substantive meetings. Um, and of course, as the governor stated in her press conference today, that um, you know she shared her vision for this new hospital. Hospital, um, and of course, the nexus right that uh, that we believe uh, exists uh, with with the Department of Defense um, here in this region um, to include, you know, the veterans who uh, who many have, have stated and, and we believe who are underserved uh, uh, in terms of health care. Uh, because so of a geographic isolation between, between Guam yeah. and, and the next VA hospital, which is, I believe, in Honolulu. And, right. uh, and, and I know it's part of the governor's vision for the new hospitals mm-hmm. to incorporate right. a VA yeah. function. And address that 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 disparity, and so and uh, have them uh, accessible to a to a, uh, a VA facility or a VA operation uh, in, in the new hospital that will address the needs of uh, of, uh, of, all, of all veterans. But you you make a sort of important point in that uh, in pitching for uh, support for the new hospital, it's not only based on the healthcare uh, requirements of Guam's people, but also as an investment in. And um, and in uh, Guam's uh, uh, resiliency as a strategic position, particularly with rising uh, concerns about China, and uh, you know one of the bases of, of of this whole one Guam approach is that you cannot divorce military requirements from civilian requirements because the resiliency of one helps uh, helps the other. I think some a lot of that was sort of brought home, uh, although although this was sort of a non-combat situation, but with the uh, situation of the Theodore Roosevelt. Where the uh, the Navy was faced with the task of sending getting off of a, a COVID infected uh, uh, infected ship, uh, some like five thousand sailors, which was far in excess of the housing capacity available on on the current military bases here, and it was only because of the availability of um, local hotels, uh, thanks to the action of Governor Luliangro who lined them up to make them available for this purpose, that you had a place to break, take all those five thousand sailors once you moved them off the off the carrier. Um, that that sort of action by Governor Younger also was, was a sort of a positive note in her meetings with the Defense Department officials, wasn't it, Vera? Yes, it was. And, and um, you know, further than that is, is uh, you know, we, there were what one or two times where we, at, we were at the peak with COVID-19. And aside from the situation with the Teddy Roosevelt, you know, there was concern that, that the hospitals would, would reach capacity. Mm-hmm. And... Um, at that time, if you recall, uh, you know, Rear Admiral Minoni, um had, you know, met with the governor at that time. And on standby, we had uh, hospitals, you know, the tents that were actually stood up uh, in case the hospitals ran out of capacity. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a scary that was a scary moment. And and, you know, the reality hit that. You know, we could possibly uh, just overtax our, our, our health care system, mm-hmm. and we would have had to have relied on, on these, these, you know, outdoor, you know, hospital tents, if you will. Um, so, so it was just a, you know, a realization that, um, you know, our, our health care system, that we, that had this really gone, spiraled out of control, uh, we, we would have, we would have, easily and very quickly uh, run out of, of capacity at our ho- at, at all three hospitals um, 
So it, it was that realization. The governor, um, you know, shared that as well, right? That mm-hmm. that you know there was a time that the administration um, was very very concerned, uh, and you know that those hospitals, those ten hospitals, had to be stood up. Uh, at you know at that time, just in case. And so, you know, th- those those things she honed in on, um, and they were very receptive and they understood mm-hmm. uh especially you know where we where we're located um in this part of the pacific and uh you know what those uh you know what the vulnerabilities are uh in terms of our healthcare system so so mm-hmm. so yes it was, it was quite um you know it was, it was very uh i i thought that that meeting um you know was was very receptive both with the pentagon and with our uh DOD's Office of Local Defense Community Cooperation that provides uh, some of these mitigation and, and a couple of our infrastructure uh, grants that are ongoing right now that are funded by DOD. So that's, you know, one of the main reasons that uh, that uh, she shared that with, with them to not only, um, if, you know, if, if not, if anything, you know, get funding support, uh, but also advocacy across the federal agencies. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, uh, that's very important, particularly as we uh, get grab every dollar we, we can to fund the, the new hospital. But aside from uh, health care issues here, there were also a number of issues that uh, brought in with Defense Department and other uh, officials, including officials in the White House, dealing with Guam's economy. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the top of the list would be, of course, our, our, our rising denial, uh, denials of uh, vitally needed uh, H-2 labor in order to support right. uh, uh, particularly uh, the bringing back the, of our civilian economy. Uh, and right. providing affordable housing, so that was that was an issue as well. And how was how was that? Uh, how was the governor's uh, case uh, uh, for uh, uh, for H two labor certification? How was that received? I thought it was well received. Um, uh, as the governor mentioned today, the um, you know the Homeland Security, uh, you know, you know, it's a big agency, and, and I think the undersecretary um, uh, was quite surprised. Uh, at the at the uh, number of um, uh, declined applications. This is Undersecretary of uh, what? Uh, Secretary of the Undersecretary of um, U.S. Homeland Security. So, 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 it was someone in charge of immigration? Yeah. Uh, so, yes. uh, and that the Undersecretary there was was surprised at those denial denial uh, uh, that were coming down the pike. Um, right. So th- that was an important meeting, but um, I also I think in addition to. And it's sort of related to uh, to the uh, to the uh, discussions with the Defense Department. Uh, the governor has, a, has apparently identified a major economic opportunity uh, for the island in establishing a manufacturing base through uh, something that's called um, additive manufacturing, or probably more commonly known as to everyone is as 3D printing. Uh, the the uh, it, this is where you use a computer device to take materials and actually protect, uh, make into uh, actually uh, uh, parts and actual equipment uh, based on uh, a laser printing uh, and use of a computer technology to perform that stuff. This is has the potential to radically transform manufacturing across the world. And uh, there has been uh, discussions, I believe, that on this trip about actually creating an additive manufacturing uh, operation on Guam. And you know, when this was first explained to me, um, I, I, I have to admit that that um, uh, I, I sort of treated with the sort of skepticism that has treated a lot of proposals uh, for a manufacturing base on Guam is. And, 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 right. and the skepticism rooted in this 
it, it, there's usually were proposals for manufacturing for export uh, to either Asia or the U.S. And it, it always was the obstacle of of whether how the the transport costs for an export operation or, or Guam's labor costs, which are relatively high compared to uh, a good part of Southeast Asia, whether that would okay. actually come to a competitive situation. But then it was explained to me this was to create parts uh, for the uh, for the uh, Department of Defense operations on Guam, particularly the the uh, the ship operations, and in 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 the face of a of a looming a huge leap in the military buildup, then that all sort of uh, the pennies sort of dropped in my head, and this is this is this got over all those other concerns. I mean, the 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 way the modern economy is 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 being constructed in terms of manufacturing, uh, labor costs are not the uh, the sole determinant. Uh, responsiveness, mm-hmm. the closest you are to the market, uh, the cut and, and the concerns about transport costs are gone. If your if your market is here, it's the basis here um, for for another uh, and and what what is the estimate for that to come for the military bid? Another what twenty billion dollars or something like that? Is is that right, Vera? Um, I I don't know about an additional twenty billion. But the, um, but so, the whole so thing is about twenty uh, billion. You may you may be referring to the. Um, Guam defense system, right? Where the under yes, the, uh, yes. Well, that that the whole that right? the whole thing here. But we're talking about billions yeah. and more to come. And uh, oh yeah, yeah. And, and with that investment here, and, and and I can see if there's a manufacturing base here to serve the needs of the this uh, vastly increased military uh, uh, activities here, then that is a great opportunity to have a manufacturing base that will create more private sector jobs uh, for Guam's people. Uh, and and it sort of speaks to the governor's own vision for a recovery of our economy that not only to bring back traditional industries like tourism and agriculture, but diversify the economy. And I'm I'm very excited to um, um, uh, to hear about it. And the governor's taking decisive action to do conduct a feasibility study uh, to see what can be done to sort of realize this opportunity. That that uh, uh, I'm not sure if that got a lot of new news here, but that that really w- that impressed me from the from the uh, from the uh, governor's actions. Um, oh, I, uh, I I totally agree. I think that when when the um, Office of Local Defense Community had put out the RFP at the time for defense manufacturing grants, mm-hmm. uh, and I made the first inquiry, uh, as you know, the, the Economic Development uh, Task Force was looking at, um, you know, uh, the, the possibility. We, we had talked about the possibility of defense manufacturing, mm-hmm. um, but it. In, in discussing it with uh, OCC is what we call them, uh, they had, you know, communities were doing something a little different. And then the, the, the additive manufacturing piece uh, uh, surfaced. And I, you know, like you, I had no clue uh, what this additive manufacturing um, initiative looked like. But I knew for sure that in, in some of the research that it was it was one of the things that DOD was starting to put at the forefront as as a as an initiative uh, for national defense. And um, so well, it's better know, than having these parts manufactured in China. Vera, it's better than having these parts manufactured in China, isn't it? Like a lot oh, of absolutely. things seem to be nowadays. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So so it was a great presentation, and uh, as the governor said, you know, we we it, it's very exciting. Um, and, you know, but this feasibility study uh, will need to be done to, to help us to determine, right? Um, right, right, the uh, feasibility. You know, but but the governor but, is giving clear instructions to not waste time and get get on the exactly, feasibility study so yeah, we don't let this yeah. opportunity pass us by. To pass us by, correct. 
So that that's a uh, that's great news. But uh, by the way, if any of us want to join the conversation, you can call in four seven fifty seven fifty seven four seven seven fifty seven fifty seven. This is the Data Hub with Tyrone Titano. I'm Tyrone Titano, Director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, and we are live on News Talk K fifty seven and ninety six point five FM. We are also simulcast on GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2. And we're, we're also streaming live on pncguam.com, on k57.com, and at Newstalk K57 on Facebook. A podcast of nice proceedings will be posted later on this week on k57.com, and links to this podcast will also be posted on the Bureau's three social media pages, one for the Bureau, one for the uh, uh, Coral Reef Initiative, and one the Coastal Management Program. So, Vera, this this is for meetings in uh, in D.C., and then you moved on to uh, Honolulu, right, on the way home. Right, went San Francisco and then Honolulu, but Honolulu uh, to continue the, the uh, dialogue with the Department of Defense and uh, the Indo-Pacific Command. Now, now, now for those who are not familiar with it, the, uh, the Indo-Pacific Command, how, what, a bit, what, what is the geographic area covered by the Indo-Pacific Command? Oh gosh, um, you are talking about uh, uh, what is it? Thirty or forty countries in, mm. in, in the Pacific, and uh, I mean, it's it, you know, I, I don't have the data in front of me, right, but, but it, but it, it, it goes into for the, not only the Ocean and the Pacific and and right. uh, East, South, and in Southeast Asia, but also as far as into the Indian Ocean, right? Indian, uh, yeah. Right. Indian Ocean, yeah. So very far-reaching here. And so mm-hmm. what, were the, what were sort of the meetings on the governor's agenda there? And so, again, the, the meetings, it was a carry-on of, uh, you know, her, her vision for the hospital, mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, discussing, you know, economic uh, opportunities, public-private partnerships, um, you know, specifically with the additive manufacturing mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the ship the ship repair uh, facility mm-hmm. uh, down at Naval Station and uh, promoting, uh, you know, the, the uh, growth in this public-private partnership. Um, and uh, they were very, the Indo-Pacific Command uh, and specifically the Pacific Fleet were very, very pleased with uh, the, the um, activity that is that and the partnership happening between the Guam Department of Labor, uh, our our, um, our private sector mm-hmm. partners um, in the ship repair industry, mm-hmm. and the Guam Community College uh, in promoting the apprenticeship program, and uh, the the uh, commander of the Pacific Fleet is a big fan of a big fan of the apprenticeship program, and is very pleased that you know Guam is is aggressively. Uh, um, you know, implementing many programs that would help uh, uh, beef up, um, you know, the, the apprenticeship program well, down were, at the Navy well, base. Well, in Honolulu, so, were, there, were there meetings yeah. with the Army Corps of Engineers uh, as well? Yes, we did. That was that was the last meeting in in Hawaii, mm-hmm. uh, and the governor talked about the the study that they had done. Uh, uh, was it 2019 for, for the new hospital? Correct. For, you know, for, and, and the, I'm glad yeah, you brought up the two, I'm glad you brought up the 2019 study. I mean, that sort of speaks to how uh, the governor has been suing um, um, uh, with relationships with the Army Corps engineers for solutions uh, for right. a number of issues. Now, in particular, the new ho- um, the new hospital, uh, the Army right. Corps engineers was commissioned to do the study, an economic study, to find out whether it was worthwhile to um, repair the current hospital 
or, or renovate, rather to renovate the current hospital or also build a new one here. And uh, through her own leadership, she found the funding through the Department of Interior to fund this study uh, uh, by Army Corps engineers. And so has also been uh, very active in working with um, Army Corps engineers people on, on a number of issues and taking advantage of their, their expertise and actually building a really strong partnership, uh, not only on the basis for this uh, for the initiative for a new hospital, but a range of other issues, including flooding issu- issues. Um, yeah. Thanks to the governor's own uh, initial conversations with them, uh, yeah. the the Army Corps engineers is is funding a three million dollar study of the Aganya River in order to deal with the right. uh, flood issues. Because you know uh, one of the major uh, development. Um, uh, policies for which there's been broad support for is the re, is Higatna revitalization, and mm-hmm. the sort of gorilla in the room for uh, for any plans to do that was the floodplain, that right. uh, that's opposed by uh, FEMA as a consequence of of uh, uh, concerns about flooding from the Aganya River. And what this uh, three million dollar study will do is that it will identify uh, the the scope of the problem, but also come up with solutions. Uh, to mitigate that flooding, so you can you can uh, redo the floodplain map uh, for Agatna, and I, I think. Uh, and, uh, but aside from the, that merit of developing the options there, uh, because we're using Army Corps engineers' uh, services to do the federal study, it also lines us up for potential funding opportunities to for the mitigation options uh, which the Army Corps engineers will identify. I mean, uh, these, these, these things are projects that are, get authorized by Congress, but they're based on recommendations of the Army Corps engineers. Right. And, 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 and to the fact we're using them for the study, that increases um, uh, the odds and the confidence that the Army Corps engineers will in fact re- uh, recommend these uh, mitigation options that would probably run to tens of millions of dollars uh, for the federal government to pick up the bulk of the, the, uh, the, uh, of the tab for it, or uh, um, come up with a financing plan from which it, it would be financed over a period of 20 years. Both of our are, are tremendous opportunities for development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and they mentioned that to the governor, and as a matter of fact, I believe that they're they're on their way here or should be coming out here, uh, Tyrone, to, to work with the BSP, if I'm not mistaken. Well, so they're, they're, coming covered, out, they're coming out here. They covered uh, a good portion of, of that flood mitigation um Initiative. Right. Well, they're coming out here for a number of reasons. One is uh, the Assembly of Planners Symposium, which begins next week. Uh, and there's, it's a two-day event. And particularly, uh, Army Corps engineers, people are featured in the second day that deal with uh, a Primo and deal with National, uh, which is an organization that's uh, uh, helping us uh, conduct the, uh, uh, that, that two-day event. Uh, that will deal with natural uh, natural hazards. So the number of top FEMA officials coming, a number of Army Corps engineers people are coming. And aside from the proceedings, proceedings, we're going to do have a number of working sessions to work on these broad range of issues, uh, the new hospital, um, uh, the Aganda R- River study, and also flooding problems throughout the island uh, that uh, we, we sort of been working on and, uh, and, and, and getting funding for, uh, for like the Barcenas um, uh, situation in Marizzo and also in Umatic mm-hmm. and also in, uh, in Santa Rita near Namo River. Uh, right. and, and also uh, on top of this, one other project that, that uh, for which uh, we'll be uh, signing uh, there is for Army Corps engineers to do an assessment uh, with, mm-hmm. of the erosion problems in East Agania, uh, again, right. which they will be, uh, will be uh, fully funding and to the benefit of our community. So there's a, so there, given um, Governor Lee and Guerrero's leadership, there always has been a very active in de- uh, agenda and engagement with the Army Corps engineers to utilize their expertise to solve some of these problems and challenges facing the community. And 
Uh, I think in part because of that ongoing strong partnership formed for my Governor Leonger, we were able to get uh, these people, uh, high officials from uh, Army Corps Engineers, to come to Guam and participate in the 6th Annual Assembly and Planner Symposium and then give us the opportunity to meet one-to-one uh, -one in working sessions without you know, the uh, awkwardness of uh, long-distance phone calls and different time zones, et, et cetera. So we, uh, I know the Governor has... Um, as a meeting set up with some of these Army Corps, including Lieutenant Colonel uh, Marshall, who was the division head for right. Army Corps, yes. and uh, 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 you know, uh, before then here to continue the discussions uh, that she had has had um, uh, with Army Corps over the last few years, and with Colonel Marshall, I believe in in Honolulu. I think they met in Honolulu, did they not, Vera? Yes, they did. Yes, he was at that meeting. Um, there were several of them. There, you know, they had their their uh, new. Um, I believe commanding general general uh, Gibbs and uh, their their civilian um, A and E team, mm -hmm. right? And uh, Colonel Marshall as well. So it was a really good meeting, mm -hmm. and uh, and and you know the team looks forward to uh, continuing uh, discussions on the new hospital with them, and you know the whole mitigation um, initiative that that you guys are working on. So. So you can see the the the, uh, the follow-on, right? From mm -hmm. from many, you know, from the last two years of of work by the administration, and mm -hmm. you know, a lot of things are coming to fruition, um, and uh, it, it's just been, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, a very good time for for Guam mm -hmm. um, in in building these federal relationships. You know that. That's always been, um, at least for me, as you know, uh, in in the position, uh, in the capacity that I serve, uh, is, you know, uh, whether we gr agree or disagree, uh, the, the the partnerships are important, uh, you know, to to further Guam's, um, you know, plight for for economic, um, you know, prosperity and and environmental, uh, and cultural, um, you know, um, preservation, right? So. So the meetings were, were very well-rounded and covered a myriad of, um, of actions and initiatives that, that, you know, both the governor and lieutenant governor um, lead right now here mm -hmm. with, with, with our team and with some of our partners. So uh, as a matter of fact, uh, just uh, a few minutes ago, I, um, mm. I, I, I forwarded you and our team, you know, and I know you've been tracking this and it finally just, you know, fell into to uh, our emails but you know the the you know bill to provide for climate change planning mitigation adaptation and resilience in the uh you know in the u.s territories and really freely associated states and you know that that's been uh, referred to the committee on uh energy and natural resources so you know i know that's been something that the team has been um, looking at in terms of climate change, right, and and some of the initiatives that uh, we're already working on, and we continue to pursue. So, is you know, that a companion bill to the in-state areas climate uh, change bill that was in the House, and that uh, the chair of the House Natural Resources Committee, House uh, Ro Grishia from Arizona, he had a hearing on it, and I think Austin Shelton testified on it from Guam. Is it a companion to that? Uh, measure that's it might be. I, I didn't get a chance to, to read the entire mm -hmm. uh bill but you you have it sitting in your inbox so right so i want to get off the air i'll have a chance to read it but it sounds yeah. uh it's it sounds uh, 
Um, it sounds familiar. Um, uh, there is, uh, it, but in, uh, but you know, uh, going back to um, um, some of the other is issues here, you know, with, with these sort of meetings that you were a party with with uh, with Governor Leon Guerrero, you you you've been around a while than uh, like me, uh, a very, and you know that that um, meetings like that, you know, beyond you know uh, meet and greet and you know smiles and shakes and hand love, productive meetings like don't happen overnight. Uh, they happen because you've actually invested time and effort in sort of building relations and pressing your cases and demonstrating that you're a, a, a strong partner uh, uh, for, the, for these things. And so, and, and that leads to actual tangible benefits, like the $3 million study for the Gannon River study for the, uh, for the uh, uh, scoping and, uh, and mitigation options being developed to, for, to deal with flooding problems down south and, uh, and elsewhere. And opportunities to do so further. We're we're currently exploring options uh, with uh, Army Corps Engineer. The bureau is about getting the service to scope out uh, proposals uh, for dealing with uh, storm drainage problems. Say, for example, in PD Village and in Barragata, and mm -hmm. that in in order to to help prepare uh, to take advantage of of, of uh, funding opportunities. Uh, not 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 the least of which is there's six million dollars been identified for Guam for climate change mitigation for which storm drainage certainly. Uh, uh, qualifies, but also uh, for the uh, pending infrastructure bill making its way through Congress, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and as well as the larger one uh, being well through the reconciliation process. And so, in, in essence, by this partnership helps us prepare to take advantage of these funding opportunities, just like the partnership with the Army Corps Engineers enables to take advantage of an opportunity to fund the Agana River Study. For you know something that has been discussed for as long as we've been talking about a gotten revitalization. When you know because to deal that we have to deal with the study and you know all, etc. It's it's um, it sounds sort of geeky to talk about in those details, but they're they're kind of they're sort of important uh, points in the process. This is how you make change happen. This is oh, how you get things and I done. Think, I think all the work reflects the experience of I have to say, experience of of the cabinet members. Um, who, who have, have just years of, of you know, uh, relationships that they have built, and some of these the, these federal partners are still around, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's just a continuation of those relationships and then building new ones um, and then understanding, right, uh, all of these, these federal, uh, whether they be federal regulations or appropriations and understanding how they all intersect. And, um, you know, to your point, the... The Department of Defense. We're you know, we continue to track the annual defense authorization bill mm -hmm. because one of the one of the things is you think defense, but it it dovetails into the environment. You know, the the actions of the Natural Resource Co Resources Committee, whether it's it's environment or uh, cultural, you know, historic preservation, um, veterans affairs, Department of Transportation. Um, and so, so you see the gamut and, and how large uh, the, the, you know, the federal government uh, and DOD, for that matter, right, and, and, and how they all intersect. And while the, the, the funding may not come from Department of Defense, you know, they have a, there's a policy that may come through appropriations that would, that would funnel the action to another federal agency who actually has oversight. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's tracking that, right, and making those connections and understanding that it intersects and, and you know, our, and then our, our cabinet members, our agencies intersect and continue to, to uh, work collaboratively on some of these initiatives. 
Right, right. So anyway, Vera, I don't want to keep you too long because uh, you must still be recovering from that extensive and uh, hardworking <laughs> no, trip. No, I'm, 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 I've been back what near uh, okay. about a week now, so I'm, I'm, I'm recovered. Okay, but well, in, in any event, it's, it's, it is getting late in the evening. So uh, why don't we wrap it up, and I'll give you a, f- a few minutes to impart whatever uh, thoughts or um, or information that you feel our listening public needs to. Uh, uh, needs to know at this point about the buildup and 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 uh, the sort of the issues the governor dealt with in her trip. Well, you know, I I think that if, if there is anything to impart, it would be that uh, you know while there are are uh, you know opportunities um, that the the governor has has uh, during this trip has has prioritized the opportunities, but she you know she has. Um, uh, established this balance and not only did we talk about opportunities but we talked about impacts and we talked about um the partnership that is needed to deal with uh all of this right the opportunities the impacts um uh just to to improve uh, our quality of life here on guam and for the people of guam and i think that's you know i think that was the bottom line uh, and it continues to be for this administration and and uh uh, and working with uh, the, the the cabinet and and the employees that provide the day to day public services to the people of Guam, and I think that you know it it, it certainly um, there's so much more work to do mm-hmm. uh, for us, but I think that that was the highlight of the trip, and it continues to be uh, here at home. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I am certainly very uh, fortunate to to accompany her. Uh, on the trip with, the, of course, our other colleagues who who um, right. had business and and uh, was able to to staff the governor. Well, as well, well. We, so, we certainly have a lot uh, of yeah. business before the federal government to, in terms of creating opportunities and taking advantage of opportunities before us. So, Vera Deposta of the Guam, Milita- uh, Guam Military Bureau Office, as it's known colloquially, what's the official title, Vera? I keep on forgetting. <laughs> Community Defense. Liaison office. Yes, the Community Defense Liaison Office. Well, thanks for joining us. I'll have you back when, when, when of course, you the other important things uh, sort of arise that you'll be at the center. So, Vera, oh, thanks absolutely. so much. Thank you so much, I'll, I'll catch up with you time. later. Okay. Vera DePasta of the uh, Guam Community Liaison Office. And we also have on the, uh, on the other line joining us is from the uh, Micronesia Climate Change Alliance, Maneka De Oro. Maneka, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Whee! Oh. Well, that's okay. We're just getting uh, the other call offline. But Maneka, you're still there, right? I'm here, Ty. Okay, let's let's start first here. This, your organization uh, is the Micronesia Climate Change Alliance. I find, I, I, is, do I get that one right? I keep on screwing up the title. I find in the past. You got it. Okay, I nailed it there. Okay, so Maneka, we have about 14 minutes left in the program, but I want to give you a chance to um, uh, update on um, on uh, on your organization, the work it does, and. And what is what is um, is is uh, capturing the focus and, and 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 interest of the Micronesian Climate Change Alliance? Given things are happening on a broad front, not to not to mention that report that came out today that says you know we're well well we're well and truly screwed on climate change. This is that the stuff that happens in this is has happened to the climate is is almost irreversible. Uh, that was an article in the in the uh, I believe in the Guardian. This is the one I wrote. Uh, the one I read. And uh, that is sort of di- disheartening, uh, but of course, um, you know, we um, your your uh, organization is about solutions in the face of daunting challenges. So, uh, what is the Micronesia Climate Change Alliance up to nowadays? Yeah, 
so MCCA is really about um, creating the narrative around climate justice for our region. And climate justice incorporates really addressing the root causes of climate change, and uh, which happen to be a lot of the historical wrongs that have happened to our community. And it really asserts that the transition to renewable energy is going to happen no matter what. It just is like necessary and a necessary action that needs to be done. But we want to ensure that um, justice is also centered and those who are affected most by climate change, especially those in the frontline communities and, and communities who have been historically oppressed and exploited are um, at the forefront of the solutions. So here, some of the, and that's really grounded in the work that, in the way that we approach our community and the work that we try to do here. Uh, we've spent a lot of just the, re, the past recent recent months on new projects. In April Earth Month, we launched our second season of From Our Nanas for Our Nannies, which in which we took a deep dive into the waste stream of our islands. Mm-hmm. Our hosts, Tamia Garola and Francesca Dioro. My sister um, interviewed 20 different experts and community members and leaders on the issue of our waste stream and really tackling ways in which our community community needs to be more aware of how our, our lands are small. Our island, you know, land is such a, uh, a valuable asset and we have such very little of it. And it's really important that we are more mindful and how we treat our waste because our waste needs to be stored somewhere and we only have so much land so how can we curb our waste how can we reduce our our um what goes to the waste stream and the cost that it that it takes in dealing and managing with waste is uh what we did within five episodes and that was funded by guahan humanities mm-hmm. um really beautiful uh project that we're that we also built curriculum on, so we're hoping to uh, some teachers use our resources, worksheets, and other things that we've created to complement the really um, amazing investigative journalism that our team did. Uh, and we also highlighted a lot of cultural, uh, and most of the work that we try to do, we try to highlight cultural um, knowledge. Mm-hmm and center our culture as a, as a solution and our indigenous uh, Micronesian cultures as a solution to uh, our issues. Along with the waste crisis too, we also implemented and uh, started a fundraising campaign uh, to help address illegal dumping in a Jigo um, community, mm-hmm. uh, the Zero Down Gilbaza uh, Cypher area where in which there's uh, it's an area prone to illegal dumping, mm-hmm. and uh, these areas need more um, assistance in ensuring that residents know how to properly dispose of waste, and that uh, also partners in the community that uh, find people or enforce illegal dumping laws are also well aware of um, and, and doing their job in that area. So we enlisted to help with actual residents in that area to help form a campaign. And we used their, their uh, skills and talents around making marmars. And mostly, this is a really heavily populated um, FAS community. So we have some yappies 
and Chukis, uh, mar makers and lay makers who uh, use and devote their skills and talents to this uh, effort. And we started that in April, May around graduation season and it was incredibly successful. And uh, our first phase of implementing some of the funds that we raised is getting, creating some templates and on, on ways to properly dispose of trash and where to go and how to do that. Um, and getting that translated into the different Micronesian languages in that area, mm -hmm. and we have so many other right. projects. Well, that those are two well, that come to mind as far as the, I, I'm uh, sure, community-based but, solutions. But I'm I'm already regretting you asking on the program for the last 15 minutes because given your other activities, I should have invited on for the whole 50 minutes so we go in detail. But uh, but that we can do that at another time. There are two things though I I, I sort of want to bring up and, and ask you to expound upon for the. Um, a benefit of the listening audience. You mentioned environmental justice. Perhaps you could uh, explain what that concept means further. And this is important because environmental justice is very much a central part of uh, the Biden administration's initiative uh, for climate change and for infrastructure. And so what, and it's a constant has been around for a while, but it's now going to be a central part of, of, of policy. This has come up, by the way, in meetings that I have had with uh, Army Corps engineers people and with FEMA people uh, uh, on, on, on this subject matter. And in, in a matter of fact, in one of the new Economic Development Administration grant programs, there's one for indigenous communities. Uh, uh, of which specifically you mentioned is Native Pacific Islanders from Guam. So, so for the benefit of our audience, uh, Maneka, can you explain the concept of environmental justice? Yeah, so environmental justice is just a recognition that the harms done to the environment are usually done by outside people. Um, and, and Native communities, most especially in states, are put in areas that are called, uh, like known as sacrifice zones. So these are areas where resources are extracted, and either water tables may have been compromised and wildlife has been compromised in, in the process of development of industry. Uh, this, uh, we have a, an environmental justice case that was just resolved here in the island um, with the historic Supreme Court ruling around the Ordit dump issue. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was, a, that was a, uh, a major win for Guam when mm -hmm. it comes to Absolutely. Uh, uh, ensuring that those who um, cause the problem with with the ordered dump are the ones who also help to pay for it, pay for the mitigation of the harm that was done. Well, wow, okay. um, and like I said, and that's, sorry, go ahead. And that's one example of here are a homegrown example of uh, of an environmental justice issue. But, but there's but, so many examples across the states, and it's usually in areas of low income, people of color, indigenous communities that have suffered the most from environmental impacts of um, industrial sort of developments, or even, in our case, either military. Right. Mostly and, military or industry. And we're not also an extension of, of that concept here as being the major impacts of climate change uh, produced by industrial societies uh, on, on indigenous societies like ours, which are, have been traditionally non-industrial. Uh, and I'm thinking of the um, warming events caused by climate change that have, have devastated Guam's coral reefs. Would that fall into that concept, or is that a bit of a stretch? Yes, I think that definitely falls into the oh. concept, especially given the, the, the fact that most of us out here in the Pacific uh, contribute very little to carbon, carbon emissions. We contribute very little to the problems and the causes of, of the climate crisis, but we are going to be bearing the impacts. 
You know, I, I, me- I, I mentioned I mentioned this at a, the Pacific Islands Environmental Con- uh, uh, Conference uh, about two years ago in 2019. It was held at the Hyatt, and I was sort of making the uh, the point here that the impact of climate change uh, was affecting us, even though. Um, we are not a, a major contributor to it. And it was pointed out by a question in the audience, well, you still need to acknowledge that what the, what the contribution are doing and do something to deal with it. And, I, and, and, and the, the, the uh, person in the audience had a good point about this subject here. Uh, so aside from uh, rallying against the impact of industrial changes, there is a responsibility in our community to also address uh, climate change. And, and, and some of the uh, nation steps are, are, are moving in that direction. The governor created a climate change resiliency commission. But also as a way to cut down on uh, carbon emissions and dealing with a decarbonized energy source, the Guam Regional Transport Authority has acquired uh, 16 new electric vehicles, uh, buses and sedans, and they're embarking on a study for an island-wide charger system here, so to support electric cars as it comes to develop here. The Biden administration has its goal to transform uh, state, county, uh, municipal, and federal transportation fleets or vehicle fleets to electric in the next 10 to 15 years. And even General Motors, I think, is going to completely convert to electric cars in th- after in the next 15 years. So uh, these are sort of issues that uh, sort of uh, are, are affect our daily lives and not just a matter of a theoretical construct. So, Maneka, once again, having acknowledged that I made a really bad mistake, inviting you only for the last 15 minutes of the program. We're now at four minutes and 30 seconds and counting before the CBS radio news. Anything else you would like to import or information you want to mention or a, a website you want to uh, 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 have people go see or for more uh, up-to-date reports on what the Marconesian Climate Change Alliance is doing or anything else, any other point you would like to bring up in the last uh, three minutes and 10 seconds? Yeah, you know, thank you so much, Ty. We really appreciate the time um, and the consideration of bringing MCC on to talk about our programs and what we're what our mission is for our islands uh, we had some really great um, relationships that we're building in the rest of the, the region we really see our region the, the need of the um, of Guam the Marianas and the SAS states along with the Marshalls and Palau to really come together and uh, kind of co-navigate this crisis because whatever happens to one of our islands happens to all of us. You know, we share this one ocean. This one ocean is our home, and we really need to be acting collectively and raising our voices collectively, especially since we have we share such a huge planet, and mm-hmm. there's only about a million or so people in our in our islands. But we really do need to be working together, mobilizing together. People, if people are interested, they can visit our website at micronesiaclimatechangealliance.org. Uh, we also have an office here in Harmon. We collect plastics, and we are the only recyclers of plastics on the island right now, but we're excited to partner further with the University of Guam Center for Island Sustainability mm-hmm. to sort of build their makerspace with our machines and um, build this program of precious plastics to be even more robust in our community. Um, there's so many things that we can all be doing on an individual level but to really impact um, and reverse some of the, the negative things in climate change. It really does take the collective, and we're really happy to work especially with youth since all youth are on the front lines, and we'll be having to work through uh, and live through the destabilizing impacts, and we're hoping to do a lot of work around um, building some climate literacy uh, curriculum in the next few years. Well, and doing that for all of our region. Well, fantastic. We, cer- we certainly need the help. 
No problem. Okay. Thank you, Monique Dioro from the Micronesia Climate Change Alliance. This is the Data Hub. Uh, We're uh, heading up to the CBS Radio News uh, next week. We're going to have uh, uh, staff from the Washington State uh, Coastal Zone Management Program. They're going to be on island for a number of things, but also uh, for the uh, uh, 18th, uh, the 6th Assembly Planner Symposium that begins August 18th and on also August 19th, in other words, next week. And um, we're going to have them... uh, on board to talk about uh, the sort of issues that are addressed by coastal management programs across the country. Guam has its own coastal management program, and uh, and and so we'll see what what we can learn from uh, each other in, in dealing with these issues. More importantly, I want to find out why they had a heat wave that was where their highs were 30 points higher than Guam's highs. Anyway, we'll cover all that next week. Thanks you all for joining us, and see you next Tuesday. <laughs>